Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in Lions right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and I understand that it might be hard to believe in the Lions, but we just had a bye week. Things are looking good. There's a lot to look forward to the rest of the way. And of course, I look forward to talking to the legend himself, the governor, the 63rd overall pick in the 1987 overall draft by the Detroit Lions, Mr. Jerry Ball. How's it going, Jerry? All going good, Jack. You know, every time you make me feel like I'm Floyd uh, Money Mayweather coming out to the ring, stuff like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's <laughs> nah, what I'm here yeah, yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. And like you said, the Lions didn't play, so we know they didn't go backwards this week. That is always important, especially you can't lose on a bye week. You can't lose on your day off. Some people get fired on their day off, but not yeah. with the Lions, you know? Yeah, yeah, there, there, there have been some changes here in the last 10 days, that's for sure. There have been, and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, we have to tip our hats to the lovely people at betonline.ag. Was it nice to not have to worry about betting on the lines and just taking your pick of the other games on the slate? Actually, you know, the game that I, I, I put a little coin on a bet online was the Broncos and the Cowboys. You know, and uh, I end up winning that bet. You know, you, you can always find a cowboy for a bet here in Texas and stuff. And I just did it just so the guy would just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about those Cowboys fans, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I placed the bet online and, you know, everything was great. You know, I took that hit and, uh, you know, we, we smiling. <laughs> We're smiling, and that the thing with the Cowboys, just they're great. Just ask a Cowboys fan or don't. They'll tell you anyways. And we'll yeah, tell yeah. you anyways how great Believe is. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, 
NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And we didn't have a game start this weekend, but there's still lots to talk about for the Detroit Lions. There's some big buzz on the internet machine because the Lions didn't send any of their scouts down to Ole Miss versus Liberty with possible QB1 Matt Corral facing possible QB2 Malik Willis. Does this matter even a little bit? Is it a non-story? What was it like when you were being courted by the Lions? Well, listen, this is really asinine for fans to really try to put the Lions in a situation where at this point of the season that they're worried about the draft when right now they have to rally their troops for more immediate issues. Those are non-issues. You know, right now, what they want to do is first start taking some positive steps with the team that they have, you know, and I think to look down that road and stuff is like a a real mistake if that's what the Lions are doing. And I don't think they're doing that at all. So I wouldn't that that's again, you know, the, the scouting system in the NFL is all shared information. So it's not like one team is going to get. The advantage, there's two scouting groups, each team, you know, that whatever group they're in, all those teams share that information. So if a guy from the Raiders go out or or somebody from the Rams go out in their group, that information goes into a data pool. So they didn't have to be there. Yeah, you know, and uh, when they talk about certain little scouting groups, that's what that is. It's where each uh, each group of teams share the data, share all the player information, share the video information, things like that. And, of course, the, the combines are filmed, and then the times are recorded. They turn in the times once they record it, you know. So, and, and, and again, this isn't the season for that. You you still don't know who's gonna be the wild card, you know. When when you start understanding who's playing in the NFC AFC championship game, then you kind of know where you are in your draft pick. Then you can start talking about the draft. But until then, nah. Exactly, players or scouts will go to some games. They'll go to other games, and it's. As you said, it's just, it's networking. It's whoever drew the straw to go to this game this week. And we raved, or not we, but scouts were raving about how with COVID, they didn't have to travel and they still got the same amount of work done. So now they're not at the games and now people are upset about it. I don't know. I don't think it really made any sense. But what about when you were being courted by the Lions? Were they sending people to watch your practices, your games and such? Well, actually, the first direct contact I had with the Lions, they sent uh, the defensive line coach. His name was Rex Norris. Uh, He actually came down to Beaumont, Texas, put me on the scale, had me run the 40 and did some little drills. How was the 40? uh, 
I think I write I might have ran like a four eight five four nine that day. Yeah, but I hadn't been working out and stuff, and it was like one of those days where, you know, it's like he he thought I lived in Houston and he drove over and said, Hey, I'm gonna be in Beaumont in about an hour and a half and stuff, I'd like to see if I could see you. Man, so I went and got all my little gear, went and you know, worked out, did the little stuff for him and stuff. And that was the first time he said, hey, man, you know, I like what I see. So I, 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 I'm going to go back and give him some positive reviews. And and lo and behold, they drafted me. I, I thought I was going to Tampa because Tampa had uh, a number one pick and some early number twos. And they called me in the first round. And uh, they went a different way with um, Testa Verde. Mm. And um, come back, and in the second round, they, you know, I set that out, and then you know the lines, you know, I fell to the lines, you know. So, but it was all good, you know. Destiny was set. Absolutely, all's well that ends well with you landing in Detroit. I know I'm happy about it, and we're all happy now that we know it's a non-factor for this yeah. scouting debacle that the internet's making up. But yeah, in terms of last week, Aaron Glenn buried the Eagles game tape, literally buried it in the ground in a hole, put dirt on top of it. Is that something that coaches just do for show? Or is that something that tangibly makes a difference to the players? Well, here's the things, you know, it's like positive and negative reinforcements, right? You know, sometimes if, say, for instance, you play, say they played 70 total plays on defense, right? And on 62 of them, you're going to at least make three corrections somewhere between the secondary line linebackers all right eventually that gets to being more negative reinforcement than positive because you're taking so much negative that now are are they really paying attention to the details of the film because for me to correct them i got to get in his ass and, and in some cases you have to get in the player's ass you know and and, and i know you know Fans don't want to, you know, hear me say that, you know, that that's how it goes. But, you know, football is a demanding sport. And this is a sport where you have coaches and players that have to have trust and the emotions on the sideline, because you are dealing with men, you know, a coach has to be able to handle each player the way that he needs to manage it. Some players you can pat on the back. Some players you can kick them in the ass. You know, the coach has to know that. So just in the long short, you know, with, with all of it, you know, a coach knows where to take his team emotionally. And if he put it in the ground – he did so because it would do more tearing down than build. Especially with a coach like Aaron Glenn, who we hear how he relates with his players. That's why that big blow up in the first game with Jeff Akuda, that was a non-issue because he knows his guys. And yeah. 
as you said, different people respond differently. I'm sure Jerry wasn't one to respond to being screamed at. It was more methodical, as you've alluded to. Oh, no, no. Listen, no, I was actually one that a coach could, he could tell me, Bob, get your ass in there. What the hell are you doing, Jerry? And I said, well, I've seen this, coach. Well, goddamn, get in the A-gap. I say, coach, he got, you know, and it's going like that. So so it's the emotion of the game. I don't take no offense. I was coached like that from Little League, you know. <laughs> and- <laughs> you know, but but some guys, you know, and, big, big, and sometimes it's the bigger they are, the more sensitive they are, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the ones that the coach would be like, hey, you know, maybe you ought to try this. Now, you know, if you don't get it done, we go get somebody else in here, right? <laughs> <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Everyone responds That's right. differently. That's and right. One player who seems to need a different style of coaching is Odell Beckham Jr. He's been released by the Cleveland Browns, and because the trade deadline has passed, he will go through waivers. The team can claim him. The Lions have said it won't be them. So is that something to do with his personality, how big it is, and just not being a mesh for Detroit? Let me tell you, if the Detroit Lions would not look for this match. Uh, Man, how can I say this? (laughs) Right now, if it was, let's say, not cap related, whereas it's an issue, the caliber of players that's out there right now that they could bring in are two players that will make them competitive. Cam Newton and Odell Beckham. But both of those personalities are so strong and they're so visual that the attention that the lines would fall because of the light that follows those players. They could be afraid of that too, you know, because Cam Newton in Detroit, <laughs> the camera's coming. Odell, Odell Beckham, <laughs> the cameras, the news reporters, they're coming. These are not players that can't play. These are players that are really assassins that need to be put on the right team that can use their talents well. But it has to be a team that can handle the strong disposition of personalities. And their personalities come because of success. Even though Odell has not had as recent in recent years as good of actual success as he had early on in his career. When he's on the field, you have to account for him. Mm-hmm. And sometimes accounting for him might mean that you got two guys watching him. That itself is strategic on the field, whereas he gives them the ability of doing things 
man, it's just a whole different dynamic. But no, I don't think the Lions will do that because I don't think that they really, uh, the culture within the organization, you know, it really gives that ability to let that exist because you see, to win a championship, you have to allow that to exist. <laughs> Go to every team, every single team that wins a championship. You're going to see a personality in that because it takes that guy that has that Invictus, unconquering spirit. And it's personal, but it comes becomes infectious. So just imagine if Odell Beckham and Cam Newton was to hit a stride with Swift at running back. <laughs> Automatically, defenses has got to change right off the ball, even though they don't might not even have the system understood. They would have to understand right quick. Now, again, I'm not throwing Jared to the wind, but when he's flailing and I got Cam, I'm going to give Cam a shot. <laughs> Why not? Especially with what Cam can do physically. He can move. He can make a... Granted, Taylor Decker is supposed to be coming back, so the offensive line might improve. But even if it doesn't, Cam can... when Cam doesn't get happy feet. Cam is decisive with his movements because he can take those hits. He throws some, he gets sloppy feet a lot of the time, but it's, it's just different. You know what I'm saying? Listen, Cam Newton has been at the top of the game in the NFL. He's been the NFL MVP at quarterback. Okay. Cam Newton can play football. Bottom no line. Question. You know, but again, you know, I'm not throwing dirt on Jared, but again, they need they need to have, you know, an off ramp, you know. Honestly. And and honestly, they should I would have been trying to package Jared Goff probably and somebody else and you know, again. But again, hey, <laughs> Who who really knows what's going on in terms of the long-term plan, uh, you know, versus the short-term plan, you know? That's kind of what I was wondering. There's lots of time for moving on in the offseason and such as that. Do you think that's part of why the Lions can't add a personality like that yet? Because they don't quite know who they are under Brad Holmes and under Dan Campbell and having that loud voice makes it harder to establish the team identity? Well, here's the one thing that is certain when we start talking about personalities, right? When we played, Wayne Fonts was a personality. You know, he was a guy that, you know, great rapport with the players, with the media, loved the camera, you know, and, you know, could talk as much jive as anybody else, right? Um, but as, even though he was the coach, he wasn't 
intimidated that players like uh, Chris Spearman, Barry Sanders, Lomas Brown, Kevin Glover existed on that team. <laughs> that, you know, I'm going to worry. The reason why I'm going to get coverage is because of these guys. That's how Wayne looked at it. Whereas with Dan, you know, it just seems to me that the identity of what the team has become is actually being set by the coach, which is what it should be, but it has to be reflected by the players. In other words, what coach is saying is reflected out there on the field. What Wayne Fonts was saying was reflected on the field. You know, and, and now that's that's you know kind of, and I'm talking about philosophy, the, the 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 nature of the team. You know, what kind of locker room? You know how you have the Yankees have a locker room; they run it a certain way. The Red Sox have a locker room; they run it the same way. The, you know, it, it's it's cultures, Cowboys. That's a culture. The Browns. It's a culture there. The, the Raiders, there's a culture there. With the Lions, there's a culture here. And because of, you know, I think of, I, I remember the time, if, if I can kind of just say, I remember when I was actually asking to be traded and Mr. Ford and I had had a number of conversations and the last person that he um, let talk to me or I ain't going to say let talk to me, but ended up being uh, Bill Jr. And I, we go to dinner out of Dearborn over at the Ritz and stuff. And, you know, we're talking and, you know, we're talking about things about the organization and things like that. And he's telling me, he's like, you know, hey, uh, you know, give me two years and stuff. You know, I'm going to be, you know, running the team. And, and, and two years for me seems so far away because I'm dealing with something that I got to go back the next morning and deal with a guy that is, you know, really has some undertones and, and undercurrents of what comes across as very racist, be honest with you. And because of that, you know, the you're looking at um, a team being managed by someone that has some very, you know, covert and overt ways that they work, uh, create in the environment. But the players would never be able to tell that to Bill Jr. or to Mr. Ford. I was because Mr. Ford would come out to the Silver Dome late in the evening and sit with me. And I remember one time Mr. Ford also told me he said, and this is how he described the information that was being given to him by the people that was running the team. He said that by the time that they've given him so much information, it has so much sugar on it that he has a toothache. That's how he described it. So he already knew that he's not getting the bad fact and then I was given the bare facts because I want to win a championship. You know, and when I would talk with him, 
you know, the general manager would be upset. Wayne Fonts would just make want to make sure that I didn't have no problems. Uh, and it wasn't really that I had any problems. Mr. Ford was seeking a way of how to, you know, how do I move this forward? How do I become competitive? And we were right there. I mean, we played an NFC championship game, you know, against the Redskins when Ripken won. That we were one game from the Super Bowl, okay. And even in that period of time, this is when Mr. Ford is getting more active because he's getting more on the ground information. And sometimes when an organization is at this level right now, whereas here's you got a new management change in ownership, even though it's the same family. There is a change because how you may make a decision might not be how I process it. You know, I might need to go through the critical paths or go through, uh, go through all of the details. Somebody else might not need the details. He just want to know what's the overall need. What do we need? Do we need a new ice machine? Buy it. You know, give me a they solution oriented. So I think in, in the lines trying to figure out, I think the all of that is going to transcend down to the team. But right now, Dan Campbell is the voice, face, emotion of the team and the responsible party of the team. And a lot of times I know they point to the general manager, but, you know, it, the Lions general manager structure, I'm not really sure that's the same structure like other general managers are in other teams. Because when you got the owner and Chris and then you have um, Mr. Woods, they have their little silo. And then you have the general manager and the coach over here in their silo. That's not really cohesive managing. That's you run the football, we're going to run the business, but the business is affecting the football. You know, so that's how it appears. I'm not saying that it's exactly like that, but that's clearly how it appears. Absolutely. It very much feels like Brad Holmes is there to just get the players. He was the draft guy with the Rams. Yeah, get the talent, and that's that's all he does. Dan Campbell just on the field, and then there's the whole other silo, as you've described it. Is that something we need to look to get rid of for the lions to rebuild and become this new beacon of hope we're looking for. I I, I think it can be done a lot of different ways, right? You know, it's just like, um, I could say, Hey, they should have more diversity. And then they'll say, well, we got, you know, the general manager, he's a African-American. Yes. He's an African-American in one position. When I say diversity, I'm talking about throughout the organization, throughout all positions, all right? And at the level where at least in the ownership room so that there's key information that are culture differences that the ownership needs to know. Because see, here, here's one of the things that, you know, sports in general, some teams figure this out early on, that regardless of whether or not we agree, we're from different backgrounds. You know, you may be from Wyoming, I'm from New Jersey, he's from Tennessee, 
He's from Arizona. He's from California. And we all have to come together under the idea of being a team and a unit. Now, we all may come from these different cultures. So we learn as players to respect the differences. Now, when they make everything based on black and white, it really creates a friction between the process because you're really not addressing it from the holistic standpoint. You're trying to address a black issue. No, it's not a black issue. It's actually a human issue. And if we can set the table based on human values, first, let's come together to understand values. You know, if I grew up down south and I'm in rural America and my father and grandfather, you know, have been working men, you know, and I seen them get up at 430 in the morning and out the house at 530 to be at work for six o'clock, you know, and they punch their clock at seven to start their mornings. That's what I seen. Now, you may have grown up in Manhattan. And your dad got up at 3.30 in the morning and left the house at 4.30 because he's a stockbroker. And he has to get there before the market opens here, but he's also trying to catch the market that's still open on the other side of the world so that he's working two markets. Now, in that aspect, we come together, but we come from different backgrounds. And when we find out what are those differences, the players are always good. It's when it gets down into some of the root of how a team will manage player-to-player -player issues, whereas this is okay for this player, but it's not okay for that player. Now, in some differences, which I, I believe this, like Jimmy Johnson told his team back when they were winning Super Bowls, you know, we're going to treat everybody fair. But some players are going to be treated different. And what he was saying is like Troy Aikman, Larry Allen, Emmitt Smith, you know, Michael Irvin, they're going to get a little different treatment, but we're going to be fair with you. That's understood. No one expects to be treated like Barry Sanders. We don't have the same issue of the public wanting to touch him and grab him. So we know he needs special ways of moving and having access. But when it comes down to just some of the basic fundamentals, they have to allow the ideas of where the culture of America and the youth are. Because some of the antiquated aspects of the values from an institutional standpoint does not fit the culture paradigm. It's the very same way that I had to learn, and this is this simple. My kid was in college, and she needed a couple of hundred dollars. So I'm like, okay, let me find a Walmart where I could go to MoneyGram or Western Union. And she said, no, Dad, do you have cash app? And I didn't have cash out. I didn't trust any of that. Mm -hmm. I was used to going to Western Union, standing in line, filling it out, or MoneyGram filling it out. That's what I want.
comfortable in in my antiquated way. But she introduced me to cash out. That meant that I could sit here at home and didn't have to be bothered of getting in my car, going, stand in the line, and literally filling out a slip and paying that way. The convenience of it, I learned. These are some of the same basic things that I think they miss or can miss because you're trying to take the institutional aspect of what you learned in the last 20, 30 years in your life and applying it to an emerging market that is past that. You're still, the line's still trying to go to the line for Western Union and the kids will say, send it Zelle, send it Venmo, send it, you know. <laughs> so that's the, that's kind of where I see in the culture aspect, if I could describe it, where so I see some of the disconnects. You almost have to humble yourself and realize you don't know everything. And so you have Yo. to be willing to ask even people who are younger than you or people who are beneath you in the power structure or of the organization, because otherwise you just can miss so much. And you've talked about how that's happened in the past with your, with the lunches at the, the not being able treated the lunches at the stadium, not, uh, not having plane the, the proper planes, having the worst planes in the NFL. Is that something yeah. that could still be lingering to this day that the new ownership has to root out? Well, I'm not going to say that because I know that the traveling, the requirement now that the NFL has on the league has definitely improved. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say that it's the same way. What, what I'm talking about is where – Doing the bare minimum, mm -hmm. okay, isn't enough. All right. If if I would go from comparing team to team as an example, let's talk. You pick a team, any team. Uh, let's go with the Rams because that's a very easy one to one. Okay. Not not so much one to one, but e easy. We we know it. Yeah. All right. Related. Well, well, what I wanted to do was try to bring a comparison of someone that's a Ram great okay. and compare how they would treat versus how the Lions handle their greats. You know, I, I know their ownership has been a different ownership, and there was some issues that they had when Eric Dickerson was there. You know, but I can't think of a, a Ram great right now that I would be able to compare because like being in the Raiders organization or being in the Vikings organization or being in the Browns organization where I seen how they treated the former players. Let's go with one of those okay. teams then. Uh... Well, let's go with the Raiders. Okay. All right. Al Davis has in his team today, the very way that they're running that team right now is the way that Al ran that team. He made his players family for life. His motto was, 
Once a raider, always a raider. Every raider player that has ever played for the raiders get primo treatment on everything, get access to all the same things. When they built the stadium, they let the players put their names in the bricks. Didn't matter if you was an all-pro. Didn't matter if you played there one year or, or 15 years. You could put your brick on that, on that stadium. They, they're so inclusive in that aspect that it's like <laughs> it's really an honor to be a Raider. And the Raider actually was my childhood favorite team. And the really? place Grow, growing up in yeah. Texas, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. My my sister's godfather is Warren Wells, who was an old time Raider great. Mm. All right. So my my mother and father, and they all were in high school together with Mel Farr, Miller Farr, Bubba Smith, all these Jerry Levis, all of these great people in football, all from the same little community in Beaumont. But but in that whole aspect of just understanding, you take how the Raiders treat like um, Willie Brown, who was a cornerback, Hall of Famer. Willie Brown, you know, actually was a part of the Raiders organization up until he passed. Same like Charlie Sanders. Now the Lions did Charlie Sanders. They treated him like that. That's a comparative, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you start talk about their Hall of Famers that, you know, like the only one that I would say that's a Hall of Famer that actually with the Raiders, it ended bitter was Marcus Allen, where Marcus actually went in as a chief instead of a Raider. Mm. But he really is a Raider. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the only thing. But whatever that was, that was between Al and Marcus. All right. But but then you look at the others that's been there, you know, the Jack Tatums, you know, the Hendricks, you know, the Atkins, the Cliff Branches, you know, all of those guys are always welcome. And when we would travel to games, Al Davis would make sure they would be on the plane with us so that we could get to talk to them and get an understanding of the tradition and the pride within that team. But here's another thing that to show you the type of thought process that the ownership went through, which is Al Davis. We went and played in Barcelona. We played the Broncos. So we flew a 747. And what Al Davis did, if you know how a 747 is, there's a top level mm -hmm. that is, you know, where, you know, you got all of the great service and you can lay down and all that. And then there's a first class under that, right? Yeah. Al Davis had all the coaches and his staff in the first class. And he had all of the older veterans up in the top deck. That's who got those seats. So wow. it's me, Albert Lewis, uh, Tom Rathman. You know, all of us was like 10 years 
And well, we were all some, I think, nine, 10 years in the game, but that's who had those seats. Now, you, you when you think about that, a lot of ownership would have been up there. Most, if not and, all. And all the uh, coaches would have been down in the first class. Now, with the Raiders, Al put us at the top. You know, so those are just little things. Now, you look at a Calvin Johnson, right? Yeah. And 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 I know this, of course, has been a distraction. I'm sure that they've had to deal with too. You know, because it's very high profile. Your Hall of Fame player won't not speaking to you. But here's what most people don't really grasp about Calvin's situation is that Calvin earned that money already. Mm -hmm. So to tell me to come back and work for something I already earned, that don't really mean. Well, some people say, well, that's one point. Nah, no, no. Do you think when John Elway retired that the owner or the Broncos treated him that way? Nah. That's the thing. Do you think when Dan Marino tied from the Miami Dolphins that the owner treated him that way? Nah. Let me tell you how well they were. John Elway ended up getting into the auto business with the owner. They ended up owning Auto Nation together. John invested in that and sold his interest for $95 million. He got in business with the owner. Dan Marino owned Blockbusters because the Heisinger, when he had the waste company, Dan invested in the Blockbuster, who actually was owned by the same guy that owned the Miami Dolphins. Dan was a partner with Heisinger. Now... The Lions have the ability because they are forwards that they could put things in play. A lot of people think that Mel Farr was and his success with Ford Motor Company had a lot to do with the forwards, but it did not. He had to do that on his own. Eventually, he got well enough big enough that they understood who he was, that they ended up having to do some business with him at a higher level, but he had to build that. That was no, and matter of fact, I was in Ford's dealer program in 1990, the year that they ended the dealer program. I was actually going to try to get a dealership, but I was working for it and I was working through Mel Ford's dealership. I, I was I was there working, and I did the ads for Avis Ford, which was Walt Douglas thing. So I got into the Ford aspect of the business, but it wasn't like it was one of those things that the lines have a way of trans helping you transition into a corporate job once you're out of the game, or give you something to develop as a personal skill. So that once you're done with ball, you might be able to become one of the, you know, plant leaders or one of the crew leaders because of the leadership that you have of being a pro athlete is similar to how it is with a military. Normally, those guys will be put in charge of crews. 
You know, so so it's just so many things that, you know, you could nurture when you're in ownership that has to go off the field and on the field, you know, and on the field is what you're there for, you know, and you can't make decisions. And I think one of the things that I see more than anything with the Lions and and when I give my perspective, it's me. I'm lobbing a, a, a fiery arrow in there. They having to dance around all of these topics and issues and perspectives and, and come out with a rationale that makes sense to keep their fan base interested and in coming to the games. But the one thing that they have to do is be honest about understanding that they need help. You know, that no matter how wealthy you are, you know, <laughs> cash app is still the most efficient way of sending it. Then MoneyGram. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to do the easy, get rid of the thing you've always done, the way you've always do it, because there's a better, newer way to do it. And it's going to be interesting to see if the Lions can become that, if this is the group. Do you believe this is the group to do it that we're looking at here with Campbell and Holmes, or is it just too too soon to tell because it's a lot of young players still let me tell you what i honestly believe i believe that not only can i, I believe holmes can do his job mm -hmm. i'm not sure about campbell as a coach i'm not sure that he's no different than mad miller Matt Millen or Patricia, you know, I'm not sure that he's no different. Okay. But the one thing that we know that's going to be consistent is the ownership. Okay. So if an ownership puts in place what these guys actually need, they have a chance. But if they're up there, let's say, uh, building this Lego world and now they're not letting the kids child-proof it, play with it, <laughs> to know that it's going to have some sustainability, then, you know, they could be building things on, you know, a sandbank and it'll wash away just as soon as any water and wind come along, you know? So I do believe that, you know, ownership has to create the environment by one, putting the resources. And you see, it's very hard to say the resources aren't there, okay? Because the, every every team share in revenue so that the teams actually can put on the show, play the game. Get from the field to the, you know, get from the clubhouse to the game and all that, right? But you see, that's budgetary money. What I'm talking about is how a ownership will invest their own money. Yeah. In the organization for the players. See, now I know that they just made an investment in the stadium for more suites. All right. Interesting. But, but that's not an investment in the players. 
that's an investment in your stadium and your revenue. Nor is it but, an investment in the 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 blue collar fan base, I suppose. Well, but hey, have you looked at any of the Lions tickets? This is true. Honestly, look at what a 50-yard line ticket for the Detroit Lions calls. Shit, that ain't no blue-collar fan. No, that's a corporate executive that's managing some blue-collars. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and he gives it to the blue-collar worker. But that corporation, these teams are making money and their their customer at the their customer at like at the movie theater where they can count their receipts all right is when they come to the stadium right but that's the owner's money right so that owner's money right there is how well his trap is set once he have them in that captured audience just like at the movie theater Remember, there's a movie theaters at one time, you popcorn, basic candy, hot dog, right? Now yeah. you go in movie theater and shit, they got a full bar. You mm-hmm. can order food where they can, like you in Bennigan's and things. <laughs> you know, everybody have to adjust. Still got the same captured audience, but to make people want to come to you, to make that free agent want to come, then they that free agent is going to hear from the other players that hey man, this is how they they're not going the players aren't going to be talking about those sweets, right? They're not going to be talking about the sweets. No, they're going to be talking about how well things are ran, how well players are taken care of, and it ain't going to always be what the coaches is doing. It's going to be what the ownership is doing. How they're making the the players feel welcome. How they're making the retired players feel welcome. How they're making their employees feel that they're a part of it. Because, you see, one thing, too, when I had that dinner with Bill Jr., he told me that his family, the Fords, when they are young kids, they're sent to school you know, for etiquette and and also how to deal with people that are not in their statue. In other words, don't have their wealth. Mm. Right? And because you are coming, because you're Henry Ford the first great-great-grandson, right? Everyone say the Ford name, everyone knows there's a family behind that. Then you couple it with his mom being Martha Firestone, that she's the heir to the Firestone, and she's married the heir to part of the Ford's fortune, and they're together. All right? People will target them. Mm. People will target them, and they do. So some of what their apprehension comes from is because of that, that they don't let everybody get close to them, and they keep everybody close-knit. You think people hadn't made threats on their family? Mm-hmm. Somewhere down the line, believe that. When they're in union talks and, you know, 
or how many friends growing up were just using them for for the money exactly so exactly so you can't fault them but that's also where humanity has to come in you know when we want to know something we go seek it out now they can go google it and stuff but you remember back in the day when we had the encyclopedia we had to go find an encyclopedia and find that chapter that they might have had something in there or go wait till we got to school and go to the library and ask the librarian to help us find something on the subject we had to seek that type of knowledge well i think in the same way they have to seek that knowledge but they can't only get it from chris they can't only get it from Dan. They got to get it from some of those, from most of the active players in that locker room that they're asking to leave because they're the ones that's going to rally the troops on that field. You know, you have good coaches like Aaron Glenn around. They can foster a winning team. That's a fact. You know, but the ownership has to give them those things. And it ain't all just straight to what's the budget, you know. Some of it is just truly how, how, how nice the locker room is for the players, how comfortable it is. You're in there eight hours. Hey, you work in there 10 hours a day, right? So you either go sit there at a desk. No, you, we're, we're at long tables or we're sitting in our lockers or when we go eat, you're sitting at a table. But at the end of the day, those little conveniences, you know, if there is some things in there, that's extra players notice that. And speaking of that, Darren fells the tight end. He was the tight end two for the team. He asked for his release. Dan Campbell says there's a mutual parting of ways. Is that a bad sign that the 13-year vet is asking for his release at this point of the season? Or is that just some of the business in the NFL? Because I'm not sure what to make of it at this point. Believe it or not, in my last year in the league, we were in the third game in Cleveland. I had signed as a free agent with the 99 Browns, which is the first year of the expansion for the new Browns. Mm. And that was your and second stint with Cleveland, correct? Second, correct. And I was there first in 92, then in 99. So when the team I had played for the year before was the Vikings. So about the third game, you know, Shit, I'm in my 13th year. This is an expansion team. The coach is young as the players. Some of what he's talking about, you know, and they, and, and believe it or not, Chris Fieldman was on the team. Oh. Lomas Brown, yeah, Chris was on the team. Lomas Brown was on the team. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the locker room, you know, so shit, man, by the third game, I'm, it's, it's so much nepotism and and bs i'm like man i'm not playing my last year like this so i just talked to a couple of people you know say hey man look here shit i'm telling you if this don't change by the end of this quarter which is the first four games man i'm retiring 
and the word got to the Minnesota, and, and I made that statement, let's say, on a, uh, I think I made it on a, a Wednesday or Thursday. You can ask Lomas Brown this when we get him on. I told him, I said, Lomas, by next week, I'm out of here. And he's like, Breeze, we call each other Breeze. You say, Breeze, you tripping, man. You ain't going nowhere. I say, I'm telling you, I'm out of here because either you're going to trade me or I'm going to retire. I already, I'm in control of that. And um, when they, the Vikings called, they offered a third round draft pick and a player that was a young player defensive tackle for me. And they traded for me to come back. So I would have did that. So it's not, you know, after 13 years and, 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 you know, this guy, you know, the type of money that he's made, I'm sure, you know, because look, we made good money. Don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near the same type of money. I, I as an example, as a rookie, right. $105,000 salary, $120,000 signing bonus. That, that was the larger, the, the second year, 125,000. The third year, 145,000, and I'm in the Pro Bowl. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a bargain. Yeah. Well, at today's prices, now they tell me that the next minimum wage for the players, I think it's going to go up to 650 or something like that, or 850. But I, right now, it's 450,000. Wow. I didn't make it wasn't until my fifth year that I was making three hundred and fifty thousand. That's almost half my career. Wow. That's what yeah. So you talking about minimum and I'm a pro bowler. Multi time huh? pro bowler. Look and and, and here's a, a, a little trivia too. I was the first defensive lineman to get a million-dollar contract in the NFL. I was the third player. It was Joe Montana, LT, and then myself. Whew. Yeah. That is some trivia to note. Jerry Ball, Lawrence Taylor, and Joe Montana. Yeah, well, Joe got it first, and then Lawrence, and then I got my deal. Impressive. Yeah, but anyway, so long-winded, the ownership got to cultivate it, you know. And, and you could look at teams. Look at Pittsburgh, the Roonies, mm -hmm. you know. You look at the loyalty that they show to their players, but more importantly, look at the respect that everyone has for the ownership, no matter who they are. If they played with the Steelers organization, they've been treated first class through and through. Very similar to the Raiders, it almost seems like, where your family, once you're there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? So hopefully the Lions can kind of do that with their, their veterans and then turn it into the players and re really get this thing going in the right direction because there's so much potential with the people that are there if we're really ready to listen to an Aaron Glenn, to uh, a, uh, I'm blanking on all, uh, an Aubrey Pleasant, a, just all these coaches, younger coaches well, that played. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think that right now they have to, you know, that whole think outside the box, get outside your comfort zone, do something different. If you're doing the same things, expecting the same results, that's insanity, you know. And I think that they have to really. But then again, you know, it's like a person that, say, would be a billionaire, right? And no matter that he has 12 to 15 billion, he still wants more. So it's about the money for them. It don't even, the humanity don't even matter. There are some wealthy people like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I know Mr. Ford was not that. So I don't think that any of his lineage would have that because Mr. Ford, even though he was a small man, he was a quiet man that was very thoughtful. And he listened to what you said, you know? So it wasn't that, he was discounting anything, but more importantly, you knew that he actually cared more than how his team was being managed and the people that he had in those positions had reflected just how they dealt with the players, just how they dealt with the Lions business as a whole, you know? Very interesting. And it's such a disconnect when you're being fed that sugary information that doesn't reflect the actual situation yeah yeah you know and and, and you know and a guy like myself let's say i'm that i'm warren sap for the lines loud you know in the locker room you know boisterous you know opinionated but also my play says that i can say something and if you got anything to deal with it, then we could deal with it physically or we could debate it. However you want to deal with it. Jerry's winning that I, either way. Well, I, well, hey, I, I'm willing. Let me say it like <laughs> I was willing to participate. As, as my man said in uh, that movie, I'll, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> Cowboy movie, yeah. but anyway, yeah. But anyway, long short though, I, I think that it really just gets down to whereas you know everybody has to get you know a lot of their BS out the way, and everybody put their hand in the mud, no matter who it is. It don't matter if it, the owner, Chris, Dan, Ron Woods. You know, Aaron, players, everybody. And I'm sure they're, they're talking that way. But it's the consistency that shows whether or not it's true or not. You know, we all can get up for the Sunday's church, you know, the Sunday's church sermon. Y'all have a pretty festive sermon at church or y'all pretty mellow? Uh, more mellow up here. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to have to get you on down here so that I can bring you into a more spirit, you know, festive, spiritual experience, my brother. <laughs> I would love that. I'd be all for Listen, that. it's cultural. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, we, we our spirit and the way that we praise is out loud, you know. 
we sing to God, you know, we sing praises to him. So we do it in a very outward way, you know, whereas I know some people like to meditate and, you know. Yeah. Small town Ontario is a little bit more subdued and uh, ritual-based. Yes. Southern traditional Baptist church. Church. <laughs> Brings the energy, brings the heat. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that can be something that the Lions can emulate and bring that life back into the franchise by having those conversations with a Jerry Ball and having those conversations with a Calvin Johnson. Are those two of the conversations that are going to kind of put us back on the path of enlightenment? Well, here's what I would say, you know, and 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 I, I really appreciate you throwing my name in the hat. You know, I do believe I have that I can contribute, but I don't think that I'm necessary. Um, I, I think that, you know, the Calvins, you know, the Lomas Browns, the Herman Moores, the guys that are actually there in Detroit that actually wants to be active with the Detroit Lions should be the first guys that they rally around. And, uh, and when I say rally around, I'm talking about support that would support them in the way that would show that whole inclusive family, you know, thing. And then you'll see it because you'll have these guys participating. But I think from the Calvin Johnson, and I know Barry is doing some things for him, but for the Calvin Johnson, I, I think that really, I think Mrs. Ford, the new owners, should actually move everyone out the way. And she and Calvin sit down. One-on-one. -on -one. And, and, and she settled it with him. She settled it. Mm -hmm. Don't talk, have no intermediaries, you know, because she's the owner of the team. It wasn't under her management that it was done. Okay, but it was under the team's guide. Mm -hmm. You take a guy like Woods, you know, Woods is one of those people that I would say is going to watch the hen house, right? You know, but Woods wasn't there when the Lions did it to Barry. Yeah. Okay. So when you start really tracing back to it, who's making the decisions? Is it the Lions lawyers? Or is it ownership? Mm -hmm. The line has owners. Bodman Law Firm actually represents the Ford family and the Lions. Bodman. Bodman also has their law offices in Ford Field. Mm. Okay. So here you have a law firm that's in the building with them that represents the family and the team. So is the decision falling in there? 
And if it is, that goes back to the thing that I was saying before. You got the wrong person making a football decision. And here's why Calvin's decision is a football decision versus a business decision that you're hiding. And, and this is the real bullshit. All right. And I'm going to just say call bullshit bullshit. Of course. When when the quarterback over in Indianapolis, Luck, walked away, his required amount of money that he would have had to pay back was seven and a half million dollars. Yeah. The line says by the NFL rule that they couldn't have given him that money, right? Well, how can two players do the same thing? Mm -hmm. But on one hand, they can waive seven and a half million and over here, the Lions can't waive the money they're talking about with Calvin. And you would point to the ownership with Robert Ursay being someone who's not going to do that versus the organization that was in place at the time decided that they would do that. That's And those are the things that need to change. Those are the... I, I, I truly think that's the first step to the healing process here. It, it, it's really a, a level of atonement that I think what, what this is, man, I've been wanting to say this for years. It's one of those things that when you've been wrong for generations and decades, but you're so prideful that you can't admit you're wrong is one of the fundamental issues that we see across North America in a lot of ways. But with the lines themselves specifically, they need to atone for the things and the mistreatment of the players that have played for them. And you won't, and I'm telling you how I know for a fact that there's been mistreatment. In 19, no, what, 19, the year that we celebrated the 30th anniversary of the 1991 team, that when we went to the playoffs, the head trainer who's retired was there. His name is Kent Fogg. He went around to mostly all of the African-American players and he was apologizing to us one-on-one -on -one because he said he wasn't fair with us. Now, this is the head trainer. That means our medical records, yeah, our injuries, all that. And it ain't for me just to say it. And it was so astonishing that he was doing it that the players would walk up and say, hey, man, did Kent talk to you? And I'll say, yeah, man, Kent come telling me that he apologized. Say, yeah, man, he come. I probably didn't walk away say, yeah, you know, that I remember when my knee and he did this, this. 
And then guys started recalling, but the reality is, is that players was playing under that. Yeah. Someone in okay. a of, with a lot of power. Come on. They making decisions on all kinds of things on the information that you get on your injuries. But this is your head trainer that's apologizing because since in his retirement, he had had to have sat down in his mind and understood that every time that he miswrote something or did not write down the information that was necessary in those medical records, when a player would file for workman's comp or some type of injury benefit, that his medical records would be used for their case. Wow. That's... So if this guy's coming to tell you that he apologized because he tells you that he wasn't fair with you, he I didn't let him tape my ankle, so I know it wasn't taping my ankle because Joe Recknagel did all tape me. The only thing that he could ever have with me is in my medical records or the things in the way that he handled my medical stuff. But he apologized to me, and he apologized to a number of the guys. Now, think about that. The ownership has no idea that this may have even taken place because the way that the management that they had in place was running it was running it that way. But it's their team, so they're responsible for it. So That's when you look thing. at liability and all of those issues, it doesn't matter that she wasn't the owner. Then you you guys are still the full family. You're still the same ownership family. Exactly. So, so sir, her atonement has to be for things she didn't do. Mm -hmm. And it has to be atonement. It has to be where she comes and has some one-on-ones, picks up the phone and, and reconcile relationships that the players are not the ones that are the culprits. <laughs> and it's not your responsibility to be the one making amends. And from her point of view, it's it it's not that she did all these things and she shouldn't feel personal guilt for them. However, the Lions institution is guilty of all these things. And as the new face of it, she needs to atone for it, as you said, and yeah. The organization needs to atone for it. And there's a I, I think I think that's what changes the luck. Honestly, that's what I I'm a spiritual person. And I feel in my spirit that that's the chain to be broken. Is the lion's ownership get past their pride and atone in their own way. Because you see, the players love the Lions. Those of us that play for the Lions, we want to be a part. It's not like it's not any player that would not want to be a part of anything that the Lions would invite them to. Because no matter we feel we are a part, we were Detroit Lions. As you like said, like someone else was another. You know, but anyway, no, as you said, you love the Lions more than they know, more than they want to hear and more than they love you. Sorry to cut you off there. No, no, that's real. But that, that that's a true sentiment. 
you know, you know, but but again, that's me also having enough humility of understanding my feelings about it. That even though you don't really care for what I'm saying, like even the things I'm saying right now, this is the very things that that urged them because I will say it. But I only say it because I want the best. But I would be willing to stand and say it. Even if I had to stand alone. But I'll show you just how how nitpicky and this is an ownership deal. So I told you the last person I talked to when I was being traded was Bill Jr. Uh Right? Well, play it now. I'm playing for the Minnesota Vikings and we're in Minneapolis and we're about to play the Lions. And 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 I have my own little routine, you know. I let guys go out and get warmed up. It don't take me a lot to get warmed up, so I don't need to be running around. So I'll stand in the tunnel while guys are, you know, running back and forth. So this one game, I'm in the tunnel. Person comes up behind me and they says, "Hey, you still driving that Mercedes?" And when I turned around and looked, it was Bill Jr. And he kept walking, didn't stop, didn't say hi, nothing. Here's what he was talking about. That night that I went and met with him, I had turned in my Ford Bronco because I was doing ads for Ford. That was the day I turned in my Ford Bronco. I had a Mercedes that my grandfather and my wife both enjoyed and loved. And that was like a, a part of inheritance when he passed, right? Mm-hmm. So the day that I went to meet, I drove the Mercedes to Dearborn, right? Now, in Detroit, there is a no-no for Americans to drive foreign cars. That's what the culture is, right? Yeah. But but here's what would made him really um a hypocrite is two things. One, he didn't work for Ford. He was born into it. That's his inheritance. Mm-hmm. Okay? Just like that car was my inheritance. No, come from do things. But my family also owned the business for 32 years before I even spent one day in college. That was my business at 18 years old. And we owned Ford trucks, Chevrolets and Dodge trucks. And we hired Americans, right? Yeah. So I'm the very American in the fabric that built Ford Motor Company, he should have been saying thank you instead of trying to be critical about me driving a Mercedes that was my inheritance that absolutely had absolutely nothing to do with football. With football or your relationship with With football. Yeah. Now, now he wants the loyalty that I should drive a Ford. Well, here's the fact about it. 
not only did I drive a Ford Bronco, I bought a Ford Bronco, and I bought a Ford Explorer that was in my driveway, and that was my wife's car. So I was already spending money, and I was using Ford Motor Credit. So the reality is, is that I was already being loyal to him. But because they're disconnected in their own truth, that they can't see your truth, so they can't hear you. And that's part of what their problem is, specifically Bill Jr. And if I was ever to tell him anything, is that your inheritance, you could value, but my inheritance, you don't even see. So before he should have ever said anything in my ear about that Mercedes, he should have asked me that question the day he dropped me off at the car. Yep. Not seven, eight years later. And that's all you could remember. All the downs I didn't play for you. I'm being doubled and triple team for years. I'm in the general managers in the head coach office. And I'm asking and appealing to my, my management to file complaints with the league because they're blocking me with illegal blocks. And then eventually I get hit with an illegal block that was said to be legal once I start talking about tort and liability and who would be responsible. And then showed more loyalty because instead of suing, in order for me to sue the NFL behind the chop block, I would have had to sue Mr. Ford, and I had more respect for Mr. Ford that I didn't want to sue him and the Lions. So when Bill Jr.'s come in my ear with his bullshit, he's like a little boy that's playing in his daddy's sandbox. He ain't had to come out here and fight for nothing like I have. So that's how I look at him. He's a boy playing with his daddy's truck. End did, of you, the day. did you say anything to him after that or did you just haven't let seen, it? Haven't seen him since. Hadn't seen him one day. Wow. That was the last time I seen him. Is he, he did that coward ass shit, said that in my ear and walked away. Awful. You know? And, and since then, I also know that at a level, there is a level of blackballing me within the organization. Whereas they only, you know, will invite me to the things that they have to. <laughs> but that don't matter because, again, I'm a lion. The, the people in Detroit love me. I love them. I love the lions. They ain't going to never be able to write me out of their history books as long as they're alive. As long as they're alive, I'm going to always resonate with them. <laughs> it's impossible to erase Jerry Icebox Ball. <laughs> Man, I'm just, I'm just telling the truth now, you know, hey. Absolutely. And as you said, you'll tell the truth no matter if you're alone or by yourself out there. But don't worry, you've got me here with you to speak that truth and to hopefully get someone to listen hey well listen they it's this is the the true fact of it i know that they've heard me over the years that i played with them for sure because i know the impact that i made 
when we were became competitive and I ended up going, but it, it, I was a part of that foundation that when those like me at 90 runs and the lines was getting competitive and shit, you know, that was, I was part of that. That was part of the foundation that we started, but it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And hopefully it can be better, but one day at a time and we will see, if we can be better this weekend when we face the Steelers, but we will handle that Woo! on Thursday and at another time. Anything else you want to touch on before we head out here, Jerry? Hey, you know, I, I would because we are playing the Steelers, this is the one thing that I want the Lions fans to truly understand. In the last 20 years, Compare what the Detroit Lions have done and what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done in the last 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. Kevin Colbert was in the Detroit Lions organization in the personnel department, and he's the general manager for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What did the Steelers see in him that the Lions didn't? Was he too honest? I know when it came down to the issues that was always surrounding me and personnel and how I was ranked across the league between Ron Hughes and Kevin Colbert when we would get into those debates. And I mean, it's Chuck Smith, myself. I have my attorney, Lehman Soul, from Dyke McGossett. Um... David Ware, who also represented Barry, who's my attorney out of Atlanta, defensive line coach Lamar Leachman, and the guy named Michael Hugh, his first day on the job, who was a Harvard classmate of Bill Jr.'s, his first day on the job. We're sitting in the meeting, and the conversation came up about my play from the general manager. I had all of my grade sheets, and every grade sheet that I had for every game, I graded from 93% to as high as 109 points. Woo. Okay? So here's my plan. Here's the records and the D-line coach right there. Boom. So once he's not pinned, not, once Chuck, Chuck can't approach me that way, he says, well, I'm not going to get into this and stuff. You know, where do you think you're ranked? I said, you don't have to ask me. Ask Ron Hughes. He's the head of personnel. Ron Hughes was sitting down. He stands up. He said, man, I don't even know why the hell we in here with this meeting. Jerry Ball is the benchmark of nose guards in the NFL. He is the benchmark. And he walked off the room. Okay. Now, this is the same personnel people that goes to the Steelers. Wow. Okay. So he they evaluate me this way and saying this is Jerry Ball's value. And over here, the general manager saying, I'm not, we're not gonna pay him that. And it gets to a point where Mr. Ford has to get involved because I'm not backing down either. And let me tell you why I didn't back down from, because I held out twice. 
It's because the general manager said to me that when, if I went to the Pro Bowl, he was going to tear up the deal and negotiate another one, and I held him to it. That's what it was at the end of the day. But, because, but, but when you look at the Steelers and that team that I'm talking about in the 90s, that team, these are the people that drafted Jerry Ball, Lomas Brown, Benny Blades, Barry Sanders, Chris Spielman, Herman Moore, Kevin Robert Porsche. These are the people that drafted them. And these people leave and go bring their talent to Pittsburgh. And then all of a sudden, what you see, Pittsburgh turn around and then they con consistently contending. Haven't missed always that. getting the players that they need, always built, and they built it a certain way. <laughs> the, again, for whatever reason, the Lions will have it and give it away. It's like we're a farm system for teams. From the players to the even some of their key the key people that right now you have to say Kevin Colbert is in one of the is one of the top five GMs in the game. Top top five might even be an understatement. Top three, top two. He, it's we're splitting hairs. He is phenomenal at his job, and that could yeah. have been Detroit. It, it was Detroit. <laughs> uh, we'll have to discuss much more of Kevin Colbert's tenure with the Lions and your experience with him. Well, we hope they're gonna you know be able to handle the, the that steal. You know, they play competitive balls. I can tell you, they're going to always be ready. You know, they got a good coach. And it, and it, and this will be a coach's game, too, for sure. Yeah, and Mike Tomlin, since he's taken over, no losing seasons. He's been 8-8, eight and eight, and that's the worst he's been. And so we can aspire to get to that one day. Yeah. Well, we better aspire higher than 8-8. Eight and eight. I know that. <laughs> no, I, 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 I aspire to ne never have a losing season ever again because I'm sick of oh. it. Oh, well, yeah, no doubt. No nah. doubt. No, but. Starts this week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that on Thursday. We'll talk about everything to do with Lion Steelers coming up this week. But until then, any pluggables to plug or any final thoughts, Jerry? Hey. Let's go, Lions. Let's get our first one. Oh, the other thing, this is probably the only plug. I, I Last week, I didn't get a chance to share with you, but I decided to try to grow my beard until the Lions win the game. I'm at least going to edge it, but I'm going to grow it out. So I'm trying to do like a rally hat, do the rally the, the, the win with growing my beard, see if I can't help them out. I like it. I've started growing the handlebars in here for Movember. I'm doing it as part of hashtag FF Twitter. You can check out our Mo page on my Twitter account, but it, we're doing it. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, hopefully the Lions have a win by the end of this month. Hopefully this doesn't become an issue, but maybe we'll keep the handlebars growing. Hey, we'll keep it going. I'm going to get mine back. Ooh, I like it. Get the, the little curls going. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Well, all right, Jerry, you ready to break it down? Yes, sir. Uh, one, two, three. We, we believe. believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love the lion.
Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.